and welcome to the weekly Dairy Dialogue podcast, this being our 96th episode. All I've really got for 96 is the German football team Hanover 96, although they wouldn't call it 96, it would be 96. And one thing that I learned about the team is that they really don't like Eintracht Braunschweig, another local team, and the feeling is mutual. I was kind of shocked at some of the language on scarves that you could buy outside the stadium in Braunschweig when I went to a game there. No bad language on the podcast, though, unless I drop the microphone on my foot or something, which is quite possible given how accident-prone I can be. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and on this episode of the Dairy Dialogue, we have three interviews related to the Alibaba Food and Beverage Trade Show, which is taking place online this week. We spoke with Katerina Petraki, Director of Business Development at Alibaba.com about the event, as well as two exhibitors, Harjit Singh, CEO of Nature's First, and Hunter Jarvis, President of Food Service at Elmhurst. As well as those, we also have a separate interview with Christian Hansen's Senior Commercial Development Manager, Cheese, and Katrine Egens, and Stein Holmgard Sorensen, board member of Dairy Without Borders, about Christian Hansen's contribution to the organization. Of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from StoneX. It's been another busy week here at the Dairy Reporter Nerve Centre, otherwise known as the office where you can't see the floor for boxes of books and CDs and all kinds of other memorabilia that I've collected over the years. Some, including most of my family, might call it junk, but I prefer memorabilia. It's been a warm week for Scotland, which meant turning the fan on for one of the two times a year that it gets used. Once I found it, that is. All part of the fun trying to find the fan. There have been a few new cases of COVID-19 here in Scotland this week, as there seem to have been everywhere, although I did read that in Russia they are vaccinating people now. Hopefully it's actually a solution and it has no side effects. Remember when I told you last week about the roads being filled because of the huge plane that landed at the local airport? Well, the roads were busy again. And again, because of the airport. And no, it wasn't Lady Gaga escaping lockdown. It was the Red Arrows, the UK aeronautics team, doing a fly-past to commemorate VJ Day 75 years ago. And it's also funny, well, maybe funny, how in Scotland, some places they don't say the letter J as J. They call it Jai, which was something that completely confused me when I moved here. Of course, none of this has anything to do with dairy, so we will take a quick look at this week's news, in case you missed any of it. Watson Marlow launched its new Serta 800 pump for increased cheese production. Kirin products have been registered as foods with function claims in Japan. Glanbia has published its financials and acquired Canadian-based Foodorom. In the UK, ice cream brand Magnum says its tubs are now being made with recycled plastic. And in the US, Dairy Gold is going to build a new ingredients plant, although it hasn't said where yet. Swiss dairy company Hochdorf said its restructuring is leading to better results, and in the UAE, Italian Dairy Products has expanded its cheese factory. Speaking of Italy, a researcher there says he has developed a method of producing cheese on a commercial scale from donkey, horse and camel milk by using natural thickeners, which was a really interesting article. 
And Singapore-based Olam International has received a $200 million EBRD loan. The European Dairy Association is part of a coalition urging the EU and the US to end the aircraft trade disputes that have led to tariffs on European cheese. Ketone is launching immunity booster powder. And the Hong Kong Consumer Council has carried out tests on infant formula, which highlighted several issues, including contaminants and labels that don't correspond to what's actually in the formula. You can read these and many more at dairyreporter.com. It kind of takes me back to when, among other things, I sometimes read the news on the radio. It got me wondering if there are, in the US, any TV networks and radio stations with cow and moo in them. And of course there are. There's WKOW in Madison, Wisconsin. There's WCOW, also in Wisconsin, which is called the cow. There's KKOW in Kansas and a KCOW in Nebraska. And there's a WMOO called Moo92 in Vermont. And there's a KMOO in Texas. And amazingly, there's a Christian alternative rock station in Michigan called WHEY. But they go by Hey FM and not Way FM. Okay, time to move on with this week's episode. This week there is another online event taking place and it's being staged in the US by Alibaba.com. It's dedicated to the food and beverage sector and it's a pretty big show. But rather than me give you all the details, it makes much more sense if we have someone from Alibaba do it. And that's Katerina Petraki, Director of Business Development at Alibaba.com. Alibaba.com, the business we're running here in the US, is, is the first business that Jack Ma built about 20 years, 21 years ago, actually. Uh, it's part of, obviously, Alibaba Group, which does everything, right, from media and entertainment to e-commerce to services, such as financial services we have with Unfinancial Cloud, all of these things. But what we're doing here is we're focused on Alibaba.com, which is one of the largest global B2B marketplaces. And what it does is we connect hundreds of thousands of wholesale suppliers with tens of millions of business buyers around the world across every product category imaginable. The transformation of the business, which has been accelerated in the last three years since we started working here and then have like a team here in New York, has been, you know, we started, if you think about us, as yellow pages, right? Like we had China supply uh, with factories and manufacturers there, like high quality, low cost goods. And we made this available to the world. So it was in the form of yellow pages. So you would go there, find the manufacturer, speak to them, you know, send an inquiry, get samples, and then, you know, transact outside of our platform. So about three years ago, we put together a plan with like three kind of like areas. First of all, is like we need to make this an end-to-end platform. So transactions happen there, factory inspections, customs help, all of these things like happen all at once with payment solutions, logistics, end-to-end. The second transformation was Given we're focused on helping small businesses grow around the world, we need to diversify our supply, right? Like 
going from like just supply coming from China to supply coming from around the world. So we have been growing our supply, you know, in Europe, in Vietnam, in US. So it's it's very diversified right now and you can find suppliers from around the world across all of these categories. And we continue to focus on helping you small businesses here either, you know, grow by either sourcing on Alibaba.com or selling on Alibaba.com. So this is at the high level the transformation of our business. And we're very excited to be working here with US small businesses and around the world. We have teams in in Europe, in Asia, in Latin America, around the world, helping businesses grow. In recent years, you've also moved into events as well, like the ones that are happening right now. Yeah, this is this is quite new to us. If you think about that, like Alibaba.com has always been a 24-7 online trade show, right? <laughs> Where it's just exactly what you do in a trade show, you pretty much do on Alibaba.com. But when COVID hit here, we've been growing very fast because businesses are looking for ways to go online, obviously. But we're thinking hard, you know, since like the beginning of this year, our sellers are struggling right now. Like they're finding it very hard to generate new business because unfortunately physical trade shows have been canceled or rescheduled. And this has been, according to our research, one of the number one ways they've been generating new customer leads. So as we were thinking about that, we wanted to give the opportunity to our sellers, especially, you know, like starting with US sellers here and global sellers on our platform to shine and to show their products and to generate new leads and brand awareness during this time. So we came up with, we launched a series of online trade shows. This is part of a global effort that's happening on our platform. But the one that we're working on here is like focused more on US businesses that allows sellers and buyers to come together for free and have pretty much the same experience they would have in a physical trade show, but from the comfort and safety of their home and for free again, which is quite unique because people pay a lot of money to go to trade shows. So what these are, these are monthly, very category specific events and experiences that bring together business buyers and business wholesale sellers to connect over the course of one week every month where sellers are presenting their products and their capabilities and their stories to interested business buyers. They generate like one-on-one conversations. We give them opportunities for networking. We have keynote speakers in the industry and content that we generate that's helpful for them. You know, the first one we did was on supplements uh, in July, which was very, very successful. We had about 50 U.S. exhibitors and uh, 1,000 registered business buyers. And then we also live streamed that to our social media accounts. So it gets about 50,000 viewers per day on our social media. This time with food and beverage, which is an exciting category, I have to admit, August 18 to 21. It's going to be a similar format. Again, about 40 exhibitors, and we already have over 1,500 registered business buyers, including big names such as Target, Walmart, 7-Eleven, Nestle, Danone, and others, but also smaller to medium-sized convenience stores and brick-and-mortar retailers and online retailers who are coming to do business with each other and to learn from each other. So this is at a high level why it started and why we're focusing on like these different shows. Uh, we're not in the, in the business of events necessarily. Uh, we're just definitely are trying to find a way to help sellers and buyers connect during this difficult time. 
you mentioned the one that happened in July. Were there any things that you learned from that that you've been able to bring into the current one, like things that might have not necessarily gone perfectly that you think, oh, we've got to change that the next time? Yeah, absolutely. There are so many things, right? And this is a new initiative for us. And we were experts in helping our sellers and our buyers. Definitely we're not in the events business. Uh, a lot of things, right? Like um, we learned, you know, how to best allow our sellers showcase their stories and capabilities, right? Move away from like the boring PowerPoint format to demo and QVC style and advertisement and videos. Um, we have, at the end of every event, we distribute a digital swag bag the same way you have on the trade show, but digital with like insights and promotions. And this has been so successful that we kind of like brought this in the front of this event. And we're like, we're going to make all the content available from now for everybody to see so that people, when they come to the live show, they actually just focus on like listening from the founders about their brands and their stories uh, and what they can do. And this time live streaming, because it was so successful last time, we're live streaming to all of our social uh, media accounts, LinkedIn, YouTube, everything, just to give more visibility to the brands and allow them to shine across the world. Except for samples and giving away free pens and things. You're right. Actually, we did. Thank you for mentioning that. We did incorporate samples in this one just because it's easier because it's food and beverage. So you get on the website, you can actually request sample in advance of the event from all the brands. And we also have the last day is dedicated also to speed networking. So we're working with an amazing new company, new small company called Metaway, which allows people to get in, register you know, they select their tags as to, you know, I sell wholesale or like I sell dairy alternative, let's say. And then this is who I want to meet. And then the algorithm generates meetings for them. Every five minutes they meet with somebody else. If they hit it off, they extend the call. If not, they go to the next call. So we're trying to give a lot of different opportunities to network because every business, what we found from the first one is every business is so different. <laughs> uh, you know, even if you're in the same sector, you know, like a dairy brand, some want only retailers, some want to reach bigger companies or, you know, so it's very, it's very different. So we're trying to give them different ways to drive leads to them and make the experience better for them. It's kind of like speed dating for business then. Yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. That's what it is. Is it something that you think that if this goes really well, that it's something that you will keep doing? Or do you think that once the actual events come back, that you'll just leave that to the event people? I think we've been we've been overwhelmed by, by the feedback of our sellers. It's been very positive and buyers out there, they find this a great way, a great service on top of, you know, their storefront on Alibaba.com. We do these extensively on our platform today because these are off our platform for now. But every if you go on Alibaba.com every week, you will see a different event. Like to, this week is the fashion where we la- they live stream on our platform. So eventually I think these are going to move on our platform to make them more efficient and better for our sellers and, and like tap into like the tens of millions of buyers globally that we have on the platform. So I don't see them going anywhere. <laughs> They're going to continue. They will probably evolve to be part of the platform, but um, they seem to be a, a critical channel right now and in the future in general to help sellers. And to your point, like, we had an option. We obviously, you know, have our amazing platform where you can do all of these things, but we wanted to give a different channel just to US sellers to shine instead of like just being on the platform with the hundreds of thousands of sellers that we have. We had the choice to go for like a fancy tech 
which you see probably out there right now, like the virtual technology, the virtual trade show technology. Uh, but we decided to go the more scrappy entrepreneurial way and say, you know what, this is all about like meeting and hearing people. And I want to give the opportunity to everybody. So every day, instead of doing this through a virtual trade show technology, we do this on Zoom webinar. And every day we have two and a half hours focused on a different theme that, you know, like it starts with a keynote speaker, then it goes back to back to exhibitor showcases where they talk. And then we have fun activities in between with baristas and chefs and stuff like that. It's going to be the booths. You can find them on our event page and you can see the storefronts of all of our sellers. But on the actual event, you'll be just hearing our sellers and our expert speakers. And is this something that you can and will be replicating in different regions other than the U.S.? Yeah, we already do that on our platform for different regions and for different categories. So we had one specifically from Italy a month ago, I believe, and we're going to continue doing that across the world. Europe is a is a strong region for us too, right? I see this happening on an ongoing basis across the regions and across our platform. And I suppose with it being virtual, you can make the categories as wide or as narrow as you choose yeah we found it's very helpful to make them as narrow as possible (laughs) even food and beverage like the one we have on food and beverage right now it focuses pretty much on three categories right now it focuses on snacks and sweets sauces and spices and beverages alcoholic and non-alcoholic we could just have one only on like dairy if we want or we can have just one on meat if we want and it's just more helpful because you can generate more targeted leads for people and as it's not over yet people can still register the way that people can register which is for free is you just go to alibaba.com forward slash us trade shows and you just find the event of course with other events we have as well and just register there to attend Next, we'll do a couple of interviews with exhibitors at the event. First up is Harjeet Singh, CEO of Nature's First, who will give us a bit of background on the company as well as its products. Nature's First, uh, we've been uh, here for about 23 years, uh, 1997. Prior to that, I was uh, you know, involved in the, from the dairy side in flavored milks in, here in the U.S. We were the, the first ones to get into UHT milk. In fact, I sold my company to Parmalat, which wanted to enter U.S. 28 years ago. So I worked with them, and uh, then I had a non-compete to be in the fluid side. So I got out of fluids, and I got into powders, since I knew a little bit about milk. So that's how it all began. In the U.S., you're very familiar. It's mostly the co-ops that are handling the milk and processing it and drying it also. All the large co-ops are pretty much controlling the equipment here. And so we buy the milk powder from them and then we blend it and we do the blends. So that's pretty much how we got started. We focused quite a bit of selling milk powder around the world. As a trader, that business started to shift and uh, now been more involved on the value-added products because that has a bit of an edge that you can get a niche somewhere. And that's what we've been doing. I mean, these are tough times. You asked about COVID. (laughs) I think across the board, I mean, even the early part, 
few months ago, the farmers had so much milk because in the U.S. we had such a, you know, in terms of the quantities, I'm sure around the world there was these similar problems. The farmers, the food service industry went down, the schools went down. So a lot of the uh, demand was, you know, just evaporated pretty much. So it's coming back on the dairy side because everybody's sitting and cooking at home. But in fact, our food service business has gone down and now we are actually trying to see if we can get a little bit back into the commodity side of things. I imagine though that it seems from what you've been saying that you're you're very versatile and able to make changes when you've needed to. So that certainly would have helped with the COVID. Yeah, you have to. I mean, what are the options? <laughs> we weren't going to shut down. I mean, so... When you've been at it for 40 years, you just, it's not something it's been, I mean, obviously it's shaken up the world. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I see on your website that you, you have quite a range of products. How have you come to get such a, a varied portfolio of products? Well, we, as I said, in the U.S., we began with the milk side after my tenure with Pamelot. We focused in the U.S. market. The industry was growing in the food service, uh, you know, with the businesses like Facebook and Google and all. There's a lot of this office coffee. They give free food, free products, coffee to make sure the customer doesn't run off. They don't want you to, you're paying an engineer 100, 200 bucks an hour. The last thing they want him to do is get in a car and drive off to a Dunkin' Donut or a McDonald's and spend an hour over there. So they started giving out you know, or setting up cafeterias, giving free coffee, setting, getting these machines. And we supplied, uh, we developed a product that is an agglomerated milk. And uh, we tested a lot of trials and tests and got it to the right bulk densities to be able to make it go in a vending machines. And you, you do other powders as well, like lactose and like uh, whey protein concentrates, or is that? What we did is we started to get into some of the whey protein. There was a, almost uh, 20 years ago, there was that sort of a trend that came about and people were looking for whey protein concentrate type of products that we thought, okay, let's get into that side. Vitamin fortified drinks we got into. We were doing the chocolate blends and things. So we took and added some vitamins. We worked with a lab and we uh, asked them to formulate, you know, where you can give up to 25% or 50% of your daily allowance, depending on the product. So we kind of went into those niches. You uh, export as well as sell locally? Uh, some products, yes. We, we The powders, we still uh, do some amount of trading uh, where, you know, Whenever the opportunity comes about, as I said, we've been doing it for 20, 25 years. We have some amount of clients, but everybody's very price sensitive. And if the you know U.S. market is better than the Europeans, where the subsidies also in the old days there were subsidies coming in, or in the case of New Zealand, obviously they've always been competitive. Australia has been there. Those markets now, especially the Far East and the Middle East. Uh, New Zealand has done very well. Australians have done very well. Of course, Europe has also been in there. Eastern Europe also started to get into powders and blends. So price became an issue where, you know, wherever we can, we've been attempting it. 
And you have offices in India as well? Or is that a plant or is that just yeah, an office? We were looking, being in the dairy side, I had the opportunity. We were selling milk powder into India and then we um, had an opportunity. Um, Del Monte was having an operation there and they decided to merge with another group in India. So they sold their operations, which we took over, which was manufacturing fruit pulps. And the idea was it's a nice 10 acre plot with all the infrastructure in place. So we thought maybe we would get into the dairy side, but India with dairy is a challenge. There is, it's not an organized sector. And we realized quality of milk lasts less than 24 hours. So we do fruit pulps and things. We extended ourselves into juices. So we're involved in the fruit pulp, which is going into industrial businesses in Europe, in US, Canada. And as far as this upcoming next week, the Alibaba event that's taking place, what will you be showcasing? I got involved with uh, Alibaba just recently this year, early part. And so we are fresh to the subject. And uh, but it's been very interesting. So we're going to see how it turns out. Do you have anything specific planned, or is it just a case of see what happens? I think it's yeah, it's hard to plan anything. I know little about it. This is sort of the first virtual show. <laughs> We've never had this in our lifetime. Normally, you walk down the aisle or you have a booth and people come. So we don't know what we, what to expect. But these guys have been guiding us, and you know we getting some leads from folks who want samples and things, you know, whether it's hot chocolates or dairy products. Still with the Alibaba.com event, another exhibitor is upstate New York company Elmhurst, based in Elma, just outside of Buffalo. It's a company with a lot of history as it was founded in 1925 and to tell us more about that history and the products and much more is the president of food service at the company, Hunter Jarvis. I guess the company has two histories really. I wonder if you could give me a brief history of the histories of the company. Sure. So the Elmhurst that you remember that you that you spoke of, again, a multi-generational conventional dairy based in New York City. Our owner today in Elmhurst Mill made the tough decision in 2016 after years and years of fighting the dairy decline as, as an industry to, to close the doors and, and partnered with actually our, our lead scientist today, Dr. Cheryl Mitchell, and, and formed Elmhurst as you know it today. It made the transition from, again, conventional dairy to dairy alternatives, but not just dairy alternatives. Took it a step further and wanted to put the best dairy alternative on the market. And was that a tough decision at the time or did it seem like the most logical thing to do? No, very tough decision at the time. And again, when you talk to our owner still today, just the legacy, the sentiment, I mean, you you still hear hear the pain in his voice uh, about that decision all these years later. So no, it's, it's in his blood. Again, it was the fourth generation. It was in his family for a long time. It was not an easy decision. Why the decision specifically to move into plant as opposed to staying in dairy? Yeah, and again, it's just, it was the data. It just couldn't ignore the facts uh, of the consumer trends moving from conventional dairy to, to plant-based. Again, Jim, prior to this, I spent my career, I came from the conventional dairy side. 
when the category for the last 20 years in conventional dairy has been declining, 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 and plant-based alternatives are, are moving in the right direction, the opposite direction, again, it gets to a point where it's, it's too big of a stat to ignore. That you mentioned about the company starting the transformation in 2016. It still wasn't massive at that time. It must have been a bit of a leap of faith, but also heartening to see the developments even in the last couple of years alone. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think bigger picture, right, is it's better for you. It's better for sustainability is important. And I mean, to consumers, to, to more Americans day by day. Uh, animal rights are important, right? And so this checks all of those boxes. So I would agree. I mean, you think when dairy alternatives first came out, it was soy, soy, soy. Then it was almond milk that has taken the pedestal, still got the top spot. But now you're seeing oat is surging and, and should overtake almond. It's interesting that it's, as you say, that kind of rapid growth, but how it's been diverse in that growth. What kind of product lines do you have? So that's one thing that's really a differentiator between us and our competitors is we're a wide line of products. So we have almonds, we have oats, we have cashew, hazelnuts, walnut is the is the fifth. So and again, that's our core unsweetened line, Jim. And then when you step off that is into line extensions, I mean, we've got coffee creamers, four flavors of coffee creamers. We've got a barista line of products, four products that are specifically designated for lattes and, and frappuccinos and hot or cold coffee beverages. We've got eight single serve ready to drink 12 ounce grabbing goes that are launching actually this month as well as a vanilla soft serve mix that's launching this month as well. All of our products stick to that simpler, better premium ingredients, clean label. I know before we started that you mentioned that you were originally from the South. Shouldn't you be doing, and I know it's pronounced differently wherever you go, but shouldn't you also be doing pecan alternatives? It's funny you say that. I mean, we have, I laugh and, and I, I told some people when I started here, this company is such forward facing from an R&D standpoint is everything's on the table. We have meetings on a weekly basis talking about what's next and whether that's an ingredient, a line extension, whatever it is. And again, I've gotten more R&D or product development experience, you know, in my first day here than I got in 13 years in conventional dairy. You mentioned all of those, the R&D. Could you explain a little bit about the hydro release and how that works? Sure. So, so it, it is a patented process that allows us to, it gives us two differentiating factors in the marketplace. And the first is it allows us to make a very premium, delicious product with minimal ingredients. The core skews that I mentioned, our unsweetened line earlier, have two ingredients. Now with the oat milk, it's three. There's just a pinch of salt in there as well. The second benefit of the hydro release process is that it allows us to put more of the base ingredient into the product. So you take a glass of our almond milk, you're talking 18, 19 almonds per glass. And you look at our competitors' almond milk, it's a fifth of that. You mentioned some of the competitors earlier and how how you're better than those. Obviously, plant-based has really taken off to the extent where before there were three or four on the shelves and now there's dozens. How do you convey that to the consumer that's just walked into the store and wherever it may be and is looking at all of these different products? How do you How do you be the one that they pick? Sure. And again, our message is it's simpler and better. And again, it, it starts with the clean label that I mentioned earlier, right? And then the ingredients that are in our products are, are premium. 
nutritious ingredients. It's more natural. It's at its natural state. We're not adding gums. We're not adding emulsifiers. We're not adding oils to our product. You're talking two ingredients, really the base nuts and, and water. So that that is our message to the consumer and how we're different. Do you do a lot of social media stuff to get that message across as well? We do. We do. So social social media, and you'll see we have a Instagram, Facebook, obviously your traditional messages, LinkedIn. We have a presence as, as well. Again, that, that is a strong point of our marketing campaign in general. The Alibaba event that's coming up, what was the reasoning for getting involved with something like that? And what, what are your expectations of it? Again, going through COVID, it's just great to be able to sit down and have conversations again with customers and, you know, coming from a sales guy, sales organization, customers that want products. That So from a personal level that, you know, we jumped at that in a heartbeat. Again, virtual is a little different, right? And we've had a couple of other uh, virtual trade shows. So it, it's different. There were some learning experiences there, but from a personal level, being able to get out in front and, and talk to people and spread the message about how we're delivering a delicious yet nutritious and clean, better for you product is exciting. And, and Alibaba has been a great partner for them. We've worked with them for, for about a year now. And, and again, there's no reason that just the United States needs our wonderful products. So the message is to get it out globally, get penetration into those different countries, those different markets. You have the capacity to go global with some of this product? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're in Canada and Mexico today. We're in the Caribbean. We're in South America, Panama, Venezuela, a couple of countries in the Far East as well. So Vietnam, Philippines, Singapore, working on South Korea and looking to expand. I told you we're working on on the UK as well as some other Western European. Again, some of the other benefits of our products that aren't necessarily true with our competitors are the shelf life. We're an aseptic facility. So we're manufacturing product that's got depending, it varies by skew, but at a minimum six months of shelf life and all the way up to a year. We're completely shelf stable. We're aseptic. So it's not something that requires a cold chain to get from Elma, New York to Hong Kong. And now we step away from the event and come back to Europe and Denmark to be precise. And it's to Christian Hansen. Last week, we ran an article about the company making a donation to Dairy Without Borders. And this week, we're talking about it on the show with Christian Hansen's Senior Commercial Development Manager for Cheese and Katrine Ergens and Stein Holmgaard Sorensen, board member of Dairy Without Borders, about Christian Hansen's contribution to the organization. How long has Christian Hansen been supporting Dairy Without Borders? We've been supporting Dairy Without Borders since the organization was established. Throughout many years, we first supported several individual persons caring about the same cause. And these people then joined each other in Dairy Without Borders. It made good sense for Christian Hansen to start supporting them through this organization. And we have a special connection to Dairy Without Borders and we share many of the same values. Dairy is our core and we have the same passion for dairy and true craftsmanship. We also see a high added value in knowledge sharing across the globe and with dairy people with high level of knowledge. And then we of course also care a lot about the environment. Sustainability is a crucial part of Christian Hansen's DNA and this is where we also see a perfect fit. And how did the company raise the money that was donated? 
We are proud to have donated 12,100 euro to the NGO Dairy Without Borders because of the successful launch of our new coagulant Carmax Supreme. This amount of euro was based on the number of trials we did with our customers with the innovative product. Carmax Supreme has a strong sustainability profile because it makes it possible to produce more cheese with the same amount of milk. And that is why it makes good sense to direct our donation to an organization that focuses strongly on social responsibility and takes a stand against poverty. Dairy Without Borders helps stabilizing food security in less privileged regions. And will Christian Hansen continue to support Dairy Without Borders in the future? Well, Christian Hansen has a long tradition of supporting NGOs through charity. For instance, we have supported Danida, which is the Danish International Development Agency, for many years. And as a concrete example here, we have supported women in smaller dairies, and we also had a specific project on how to produce cheese out of camel milk. So yes, of course, we want to continue to support Dairy Without Borders, because this organization lived dairy craft to a higher level all over the world through mm. projects and knowledge sharing. And in 2018, our employees in Denmark could choose to donate to Dairy Without Borders instead of having a Christmas present. And we consider our collaboration very fruitful. We improve, expand and broaden our global network here in Christian Hansen. And personally, I've also been very proud to be able to deliver this amount of euro to Dairy Without Borders. And through this process, I've got to meet many new skilled and uh, knowledgeable uh, dairy people, just like Steen. And that has been very inspiring. And uh, I really hope that Dairy Without Borders also consider the collaboration between Christian Hansen and, and you with Dairy Without Borders as fruitful. Yes, of course. And now turning to Dairy Without Borders, could you give me a little bit of a background as to what the organization does, where its funding comes from and how its projects work? We are a Danish NGO and we focus on establishing and supporting minor local projects within uh, the milk and dairy sector in selected developing countries. We want to strengthen organization and cooperation among smallholders with focus on dairy skills. Our vision is to improve lives for smallholder dairy farmers contributing to a sustainable communities. Our projects, which do not have any commercial character, focus on transferring skills, knowledge and training in the milk and dairy sector, creating sustainable projects that contribute to lift small local communities to a higher level in terms of use, processing, storage and possible sales of their dairy products. And finally, securing knowledge sharing and long-term management inspired by the Danish cooperative tradition. Our fundings are coming from companies, individuals and foundations. And could you give us some examples of how the organization has made a difference globally? Yes, an example is a Mongolia project in the Hofskol area, which is in the northern part of Mongolia. The project started five years ago with a feasibility study tour, which I was a part of. The project is based on a dairy cooperative of Yak Herders, and a small dairy plant has just opened and started operating. In connection to this dairy project, Dairy Without Borders has supported the four years dairy education of two local students at the Technical University in Ulaanbaatar. These girls are now able to take part in the production in dairy. Another example is our project in Kenya. Here the focus is lifting the milk quality, where the project group members are sharing their knowledge. At the end, the farmers will be able to get a higher and more transparent prices for their milk. 
does Christian Hansen or any of its staff get an opportunity to witness firsthand what the organization does and how the funding's being used? Yes, the board of Daily Without Borders keeps, of course, a close eye on the different projects with regular budget and cost reviews. Each project has a project group. I'm, for instance, a member of the Mongolian project group. As I have been on site visit to Mongolia and working here at Christian Hansen as a senior technician, it's natural for me to discuss the findings with my colleagues and to provide Christian Hansen with the best status updates of the project. Also, other colleagues are members of Daily Without Borders and involved in other project groups. Some have been on project visits on the ground too. So needless to say that there is a strong collaboration between Daily Without Borders and Christian Hansen. And uh, let me just add here that we in Christian Hansen have full confidence in Dairy Without Borders thanks to our firm contacts with board members just like Steen. There's a strong mutual trust and we very much value the meaningful work that you deliver. Thank you. You're welcome. As you mentioned a little bit earlier, the funding for this project has been generated through Kymax Supreme. What's the reaction been like to the launch of that product? Um, it has been very well received, and if I may just give me a little more time uh, to introduce the background to Kymax Supreme. Christian Hansen has been in the dairy industry for almost 150 years, and with that knowledge we're committed to raise the bar for industry standards and create new innovative products. Kymax Supreme is the third generation fermentation produced Kymosin, and this is our latest and greatest innovation of coagulants. It has been a five-year-long journey, and Kymax Supreme is a true innovative product. The coagulant delivers up to 1% more cheese yield and less waste. It delivers superior functionality in the cheese and better weight quality. You can say that it's a small change to change your coagulant in your cheese production, but it's a big difference regards to the output. And we have conducted many trials, and customers are happy to change to this new coagulant as they see the results of the performance. Achieving 1% more cheese yield may not sound like a lot, but it is a lot and it's quite unique. Finally, Kamek Supreme enables cheese producers to live up to the UN goal number 12 of responsible consumption and production because it safeguards efficiency and a sustainable production. And now it's over to Dublin for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from Stone X. This is a positive week for dairy prices. Um, I guess um, for butter, the main issue that prompted the stronger prices was the increase in price of cream due to the very fine weather that we've been having on the continent. It's caused a bit of an issue for comfort level of cows and as a result, milk production has been down. And uh, as a result, we further see uh, cream uh, availability being uh, tight. September butter was up around in the future side anyway up around 40 euros to 34.50 level. Uh, quarter four uh, made further gains around 85 euros up to 3500 euros and quarter one was up um, about 100, 110 euros a ton uh, to 35.33 level and quarter two of 2021 was up around 75 euros 35.50 level. Um, skimmel powder, I guess, uh, got a bit of a bounce on the physical side. Uh, that 2000 level, pro- you know, proving to be very strong support. Um, we had September futures was up around 30 euros to the 2070 level. Quarter four was up a bit more than around 50 euros to the 2130 level. 
and uh, continued on to quarter one where carry was up uh, about 55 euros on quarter four up to the 21 85 90 level up around 75 euros on the week and then quarter two of 2021 uh, was up about 100 euros to around the 22 10 22 20 level uh, so strong week overall thank you liam we'll catch up with you again next time StoneX, formerly INTLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I already have one interview done for next week's show, and it's definitely a bit different and very interesting. So hopefully you will join us for that, and that wherever you are, you are staying safe. So until next time, take care, and as always, thanks for listening.